Galatians 2, 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray. Dear Lord, whether we read these words right out of the New Testament, whether we sing them, um, and all the ways we live them out, we know that anything we do, any good within us is not from us, but it's from Christ. God, I pray this morning as we hear from your word that you would open our hearts to receive it, uh, that we would be blocking out all distractions, that we would be filled with your spirit so as to participate in this form of worship, in this preaching. Um, God, I pray for Kevin as he comes, that you would um, have been working through his preparation this week, that you would uh, make everything he says holy and pleasing to you. Uh, God, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome, everyone. Hoping that I can not trip over the cords over up here and also that I can see my iPad in the sun. It's great to see everyone. Um, this is actually the second week that we've been in this passage. There's just so much here. We couldn't just accomplish it in one, so I'm taking it on again. My wife and I, you may know this if you know us well, but we know every episode of the sitcom Seinfeld pretty much by heart. Um, I try not to bring up the show too much because I realize for many of you it's literally before your time. But one of the, the main characters in that show that you probably have heard of is this anxious, narcissistic man named George Costanza. Well, in one episode, he looks around and everything in his life just seems wrong. It looks like the opposite he had imagined, the opposite the way he thought it should be. He shares this with his friends, Jerry and Elaine, sitting there in their favorite coffee shop. And Jerry responds to him, well, George, if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. So George agrees then and there to start this new trend. And he kicks it off by deciding to order for lunch the opposite of everything he had ever ordered before. Well, he then sees this attractive woman across the restaurant, seemingly looking over at him, and he decides then and there to jump up and approach her. Again, he's trying to do the opposite of what he normally do. She tells him that she had actually just ordered the exact same lunch as him, and George responds, my name is George. I'm unemployed. I live with my parents. And then she responds in this inviting way, I'm Victoria. Hi. And George gets on a roll in this show where doing the opposite of what he thinks he should do seems to somehow turn out right. 
But that's not the way it works in the real world, right? And especially, especially when we go in the opposite direction of Jesus. And that's what, exactly what we see happening here in Galatians chapter 2. This is what the Apostle Paul is accusing Peter of doing. He's looking at this other Apostle, his friend, and he's saying to him, What are you thinking, Peter? Are you thinking this is opposite day or something? Let's take a, a few minutes to remind ourselves of the context of these verses before we jump into them today. It's really important to understand what's going on. Remember, Paul here is writing to this church in Galatia, and he's trying to wake them up to this reality that they're going in the opposite direction of Christ, and it's going to end up killing them. Some false teachers had crept into that church. They're leading those believers astray, and they're basically saying, if you want to be right with God, you've got to keep the rules of the Old Testament law. They're, they're spreading this idea that non-Jews had to effectively become Jewish. They had to do all the right Jewish things to be in good standing with the Lord. And Paul's pleading with this church. You can just see the passion coming through the words. He's pleading with this church to ignore these people. Paul then goes on and he shares the story of a time where he rebukes the apostle Peter. He's in this church in Antioch. They're reaching all kinds of Gentiles or non-Jews with the gospel. And they're teaching them that you're only right with God through faith in Christ and not through keeping the Old Testament law. Both of these apostles, they believe this, they preach this. But teachers strut into town who are teaching that same deadly lie. That you have to do A, B, and C for God to accept you. And, and point A, maybe you didn't know this, point A or maybe point B in Israel is keeping the food laws. So the apostle Peter is sitting down with these Gentiles. He's sharing a meal with them. He's not worrying about these rules, and he, he shouldn't be because Jesus had come. But when those Jewish teachers walk in the room, he separates himself from these Gentiles. He gets up from the table and Paul rebukes him right then and there in front of everyone. That's the opposite of what you should be doing there, brother. And it snaps Peter back into reality. The pull of that teaching was just so strong. Keep these rules, God will be happy with you. And it so much still tugs at us today. Paul's writing so that the Galatians and the church throughout the ages would hear this truth. It's only through Jesus that we're right with God. And that's what our, our brother Darren talked about last week. He talked about how to be right with God. He talked about justification by faith. Here's the default state of the fallen human heart. We think that if we do enough good works... And of course, more than the bad, that God will accept us. And our hearts are like our computers, especially if you use a Windows machine. Um, if you're, even if you're a disciple of Jesus and you just somehow push the wrong button, it seems like everything just goes immediately back to default. We just so easily drift to that place to try and to earn our way to heaven. But that's the opposite of what the Bible teaches. And it's the opposite of what God wants for us. No, the Lord in his word says that if we believe, that means if we trust, if we rely, if we rejoice in Christ's works, his, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, 
If we trust that, then he justifies us, which we don't use the word justifies like this um, much anymore, but it means he declares us righteous in his sight. He looks at us and based on Jesus' record, not ours, he accepts us. We're not only forgiven of our sins, his deeds are considered ours. That's what verse 16 teaches so clearly. That's again what we looked at last week, how to be right with God. But here's where I want to start today. I know this is kind of strange. I want to talk actually about how to be wrong with him. We're eventually going to get to a a second big point about what life in him looks like. But how to be wrong with him. But here, backing up, zooming out, here's our our main idea for this morning. There is a well-worn path of trying to climb one's way to God. But in Jesus, God offers us a better way. There's a well-worn path of trying to climb one's way to God, but in Jesus, God shows us a better way. Now, I want to tell you really honestly right off the bat here, this is an extremely difficult text to understand. There are multiple ways to interpret it. But here I see a couple ways to be wrong with God, a couple of paths that lead away from Jesus. The first way to end up wrong with God is found in verses 17 through 18. Hear those with me again. Pull it up on your, your, your Bible app or if you have a Bible with you. Verses 17 through 18 of chapter 2 again. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So here's what I think is going on here. And sitting down with these non-Jews and not following the food laws, Peter and other Jews are being accused of sin. And their accusers even go beyond that. They're accusing them of twisting what Jesus teaches to justify their behavior. And what Paul is telling Peter is this. That's insane, brother. It's really the opposite. Ironically, it's going back to those laws That's really the sin. That's really the problem. Pastor teacher John Piper has explained it this way. God gave Israel the law as a train track to guide them toward obedience. The engine of the train. Pulling them along was God's grace, the power of the Spirit. What connected the train, that's us, to the train engine was faith. But what happened was God's people... From the Old Testament, the Jews, they took the train track, again the law, and they tried to lift it up, they tried to stand it up, and turn it into a ladder. To put it on its end, to turn this ladder to try to earn their way to heaven, so they could climb up there and be proud. Paul says, I came here preaching this message that tore down that ladder, and now you're trying to to build it back up again? That's the real sin, that's the real problem. That's the first way to be wrong with God. You build back the road Jesus came to tear up. We try to lift ourselves up to heaven. We attempt to hike our way up to God. And it's so easy, wherever we're at in our spiritual journey, to just drift back toward that road. Because the pull is so strong. It was with Peter. It was with the Galatians. It's strong trying to pull us as well. Now there's a second bad path that we can see in the last verses of this passage. To help us understand it, read with me again verses 20 and 21 again. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So again, Paul here is talking to Peter. Um, they're in Antioch, and he's, he's saying this. Peter, brother, Jesus the Son has loved us. He's loved us so well, he's given himself for us. His very life, he's done this so we could be right with God by faith. There's no way I'm going to drift back to trying to earn it again. Because otherwise, I make his great sacrifice completely meaningless. Here's another picture for you. You and I were on a hike. Um, maybe you're one of those people, and I've hiked with people like you, where you're not just content to walk around and enjoy God's creation, right? You have, you have got something to prove. You've got to get this killer workout. And our path leads us up to a bridge. There's this great drop. Down below, there's a river that we can see down in the ravine. There's a steep cliff over on the other side. But you decide, hey, I'm not going to take the bridge. That's not how I work. And so you look for another route that, that kind of takes you in a harder direction, or you're determined that you're going to climb down and swim across and climb back up, however it is. And I'm just standing there like, dude, why not just take the bridge? But you're not having it, again, because you've got something to prove. That's what's going on here. I think what Paul is trying to communicate, instead of joyfully receiving the grace of God, we tend to refuse it. We want to forge our own path. We want to make things harder. We want to make things even miserable for ourselves. And in so doing, we're making a mockery of Christ and his work, the great bridge who carries us to God. That's the second way to be wrong with God. Tearing down the bridge that Jesus came to build up. If you think about it, we're all as humans, as fallen humans, allergic to grace. We want to earn our own way. Right? We, we want to prove ourselves. We want to achieve our salva salvation. But that takes us away from our joy and certainly away from our God. So two ways to be wrong with him. Build back the road Jesus came to tear up. Tear down the bridge Jesus came to build up. My wife likes to fix things around the house. She does a really good job of it. But she has all these creative, strange names for hand tools. And I couldn't begin to list them all. Sometimes she'll come to me and just say, you know, where are the pinchies? You know, where are the twisties? You know, where's the three-pronged screwdriver? And I'm just like, what are you talking about? Um, often, though, she also uses them incorrectly, right? There's, with that, always the possibility of her injuring herself. That happens from time to time. And for sure, her damaging the tool, right? It's made for a purpose. That's what we do when we misuse the law of God. You might ask here, you know, what was the purpose of all of those rules anyhow? Why the law? Why the Old Testament? Why the, the moral commands of Scripture? They were meant actually to drive us to Jesus, to send us to the gospel. They were meant to show us that we couldn't do it, that we needed his grace. They were meant to lead us to justification by faith alone. We're going to see this more in Galatians, especially as we get to chapter 3. But when we grasp that, it changes everything. When, when it takes us to justification by faith and that soaks in, it renews our lives. 
maybe you've heard this before, that some people have defined justified as just if I'd never sinned. Okay, that's good. But hear me say that it's actually better than that. So picture a whiteboard in your classroom. It's not just that all your sins are written all over this whiteboard and Jesus comes with his dry erase, you know, his, um, his eraser and, and wipes it all down. No, it's as if then all of Christ's righteousness, all his good works are written all over that board as well. And they're then ours. They, 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 they're a descriptor of us because of him. So it's not just just if I'd never sinned. It's justified, always obeyed. That's how we're right with God through faith in Christ. Now, that leads to a different way of life, doesn't it? I want to transition into the second thing I want us to examine today, what his life looks like. What his life looks like. To get there, hear again verses 19 and 20. I don't think it's going to hurt us to hear them a third time. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul here, in telling them how not to live, is calling them, calling us to a new, better way of living. But to get there, we first have to die, don't we? What does life in Christ look like? First, it's dying to an old life marked by performance. Dying to an old life marked by performance. Paul is telling Peter, the Galatians, all of us, that the way to live, the only way to live is to die. To die to that old way of living where you try to measure up to what you think God wants. That's never, ever going to work. And we have to run from it. Really, we have to die to it. God's law, again, was meant to be a standard a scale to step onto. But you know, if we don't like what we see when that number flashes back up at us, our tendency is to try to change the goal, right? We lower God's standards to what we think we can achieve. We minimize how far we are off the mark. You know, it's not that bad, right? Depending on the day, that scale looks better or worse. The mirror lifts our spirits or it crushes our souls. The Lord tells us here, child, be done with that life. Rest in what Christ has done. Turn from your works and live in me. Paul says here, I died to the law. I have been crucified with Christ. That way of life is dead to me. There's a better way, children. And I want you to hear me say, this applies to people who aren't even trying to obey the Bible. Don't miss this. This is all of us. We all have standards that we want to meet or others have set for us of what a good person is or who a successful person is. And we try to live up to those goals. When we're having a good day, we're full of joy. Um, when we're not, um, we're crushed. That's everyone, whether you would call yourself religious or not, but it's no way to live. We have to die to it or it will kill us. It will. Those of you who, who may follow college basketball know that this is one of the craziest off-seasons to date. Um, because of COVID, players are being given an extra year of eligibility. 
So that, that last year basically didn't count. Normally, if you transfer to another school, you have to sit out a year. But again, because of the pandemic, that rule has been suspended for just this season. And what's happen, happening is it seems like everyone is transferring. So teams are almost turning over their entire roster. And, and coaches are having to almost start completely over. I heard one insightful sports writer point out what he thought was really going on. And he said this, he says, college players are enjoying being recruited again. They're loving all the affirmation, right? They've had, a, they've had some years where the coach yelled at them all the time. They like having the coach, coach woo them for a while. You know, they've, they've had the fans on Twitter telling them how bad they were doing, and now they're, they're begging them to come to their school again. The affirmation, and we like that too, right? We want to feel like we're doing something well, and people affirm it. But hear me say, and we all know this, that can also be so exhausting, trying to maintain that. And what happens when it dries up? We're crushed. You probably heard that, that Facebook and Instagram were going to once again experiment about tur with turning off the like function for some users as an experiment. Why is that? Because those likes can control us. They've even said that with young people, it, it causes severe anxiety. It's an exhausting life, and the Lord wants us to die to that in trying to perform for him and trying to perform for others. But what else happens when we try to perform? Because we can't meet God's standard, we tend to compare ourselves to others, right? At least I'm not like them. That is what these false teachers were doing in Galatia, and they're pulling Peter in that direction. Either we're envious of others or we're critical of them. We end up deifying some people and demonizing others. And that leads us, church, away from the path of love. And have we not seen this? Have we not felt this in the last year and a half or so? Here's a second characteristic of life in Christ, rising to a new life moved by love. Rising to a new life moved by love. Back again, we see this in verses 19 through 20. Paul says that he's dying to the law so that he can live to God. He's been crucified with Christ, and now Christ lives in him. Yeah, I think this refers to the spirit of Christ dwelling in us for sure, but also Jesus giving us a whole new power and taking our lives in an entirely new direction and not, in a, not down a path of performance, but down a path of love, a road that's moved by and also marked by love. I say moved by love. Verse 20, Paul says, He now lives by faith in the Son who loved me and gave himself for me. The love of Christ blows him away and it should blow us away. He loved me. He gave himself up for me and for you. If we could grasp that, if that would get hold of us, what a motivation that would be, Christ's sacrificial love on our behalf. Are we moved by that, church? Well, because we've been changed by it and are moved by it, we should also be marked by it. We're to be known for it. Yeah, Paul will willingly sit at the table with those others call sinners, like Jesus, of course, 
He'll take grief from the critics that don't like it, right? He'll have people railing at him on Twitter because of his love that he's experienced in Christ and wants to pass on. And the question is, will we? Christ has loved us in this amazing way. How can we not extend that to other people? If we've been moved by this love, we have to. Think about these two different ways that you can live, that we can both live. One, you perform. You never reach the standard, so you then make yourself the standard, and you hammer those around you who can't live up to it. Or second, you trust. You realize that Jesus meets the standard for you, therefore your instinct isn't to hammer, but to hug. Our friend Katie, who was up here playing guitar and singing beautifully, she's confessed a couple of times recently her struggle, and we should all confess this, but her struggle with works righteousness and her tendency towards self-righteousness. And she said she at one point had this thought. I don't know if it was just in her head or she verbalized it to someone. She said, well, I guess that's a good thing with, you know, struggling with, you know, trying too hard, right? You know, you're like the, the person in the job interview. It's like, what's your weakness? Well, I, I work too hard, right? Um, they can see through that, and, and we can as well. Um, and then, of course, it hit her, you know, this is all of us, right? You know, I think about my background of, of just being kind of taught to perform and, 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 and how sometimes I've, I've passed that on to my family, to my shame. This is all of us. And this is actually the, the core thing that we struggle with, the worst thing to struggle with. Trying to earn what God has given, that's the problem, that's the opposite of grace, right? So dying to an old life marked by performance, rising to a new life moved by love, that's what life in Christ looks like. But I just don't want you to jump past those, those two words. They're easy to jump past, in Christ, in Christ. When the apostle here is talking about being crucified with Jesus and him living in us, he's describing one of the most precious promises we have in the gospel, and that's our union with Christ. Union with Christ. It's, it's been a little while, but this summer I get to do a wedding again, and that bride is going to walk down the aisle. She and the groom are going to exchange their vows before me, and they're going to be made one body and soul, all of their hopes and dreams, their possessions, their problems will become both of theirs, right? Because they'll be united. We're made one, us and Jesus. There's this intimacy there, there's love there, but we also gain everything that he's accomplished. His death for our sins, his righteous life becomes ours, and he also takes upon himself all of our rebellion and foolishness and baggage. We are in Christ. We're one with him. He picks us up and carries us over the threshold, and then he sustains us every moment of the rest of our lives. We don't have to perform. We can just rest in his love and live. Here's where I want to close this morning. Where does that union with Christ lead What's it like to live in that love? Sorry for the get, going back to basketball again, but I remember my days playing basketball in high school. I was trying to, to please a coach who doubted my abilities. I was trying to please my parents. I was trying to impress my friends. And of course, 
the ladies and prove my enemies wrong. I was trying to probably above everything prove myself to myself and so much of the time I was just kind of a mess when I got in the game. I practiced constantly, I worked out continually, but it really didn't translate to much success on the court. You know, probably 1.2 points a game, that type of thing, except for one game. It's almost like I, for a moment, forgot where I was and who was even watching. And in the course of literally three minutes, I had my highest scoring game of my career. In no matter of time, I'd put in 13 points. For 180 seconds, I cast aside, trying to measure up, and I just enjoyed myself, right? I played the game that I had grown to love. Everything seemed to click. I got here to Mizzou. I'd play probably five days a week in the wreck. It was kind of the same thing. I had fun. I did pretty well. And here's the main thing that I felt in both of those environments. It's freedom, right? I didn't have to measure up anymore. I could just be me. I could just have fun. And it was exhilarating. It was. That's the way it is, friends, when we cast away this quest to perform and we just rest in the love of Christ. Freedom. Not just to be ourselves, but to be the new men and women in union with Christ that he's made us to be. His power living in us and through us. That old way of life is crippling. We can never prove ourselves to God, to anyone else, even to ourselves. It just doesn't work. It leaves us an insecure, anxious mess, kind of like George Costanza, if that means anything to you. That old way of life is crippling. It is. But there's this well-worn path of trying to climb one's way to God, but in Jesus, God shows us a better way. The Bible gives us an opposite way of life. The world says this, I'm accepted because I obey. In Christ, we say, I obey because I'm accepted. Hear me say, friends, today is opposite day. It can be the first day of an opposite way of living, one where we trust Jesus and there find love and there experience his freedom. Trust him with me now. Let's pray together. God, I know that there are people here that maybe haven't heard this before. Um, they haven't heard this good news. I pray that you would just draw them through this passage, through the gospel to you. Um, I know all of us here are wrestling with it in various ways. And I just ask that, that you would give us freedom, Lord, that we would be able to experience the joy of just being a kid in your grace just the, um, the joy of that again. I just know over the last year, um, there's just been so many things trying us, um, being trapped at home, um, maybe losing a job, um, just so many challenges. It's been just so easy for us to beat ourselves up, to think we don't measure up. Lord, I just pray that, that by your grace, you would move our eyes from ourselves to your son, and that would give us joy um, starting today, Lord, I pray. In Christ's name, amen.